Welcome back to the Hour View Podcast. On today's episode, I welcome my guest, Mariah Hillis. Mariah shares her story of living with a disability, her journey of becoming a teacher, and why representation in fields like education matter. I would like to welcome everyone back to another episode of the Our View podcast, where we aim to educate, raise awareness, and change the tone of conversation about disabilities. I'm happy to welcome my guest today, Mariah Hillis, and I am grateful and thankful for you to uh, be on the show today. Oh, thanks so much. I'm glad to ha- I'm glad to be here. So you and I, um, we we talked a little bit before um, we started recording. Um, and we met through the Diversability uh, group. So uh, Tiffany Yu was a guest on my podcast. Um, uh, I don't even know, the, the days just run together. So I don't even know, it was a couple months ago. <laughs> I don't remember exactly which month it was. Um, I believe it was early in 2021 that she was on as a guest. And um, she connected me with a lot of people who are connected through her diversity community. So um, I'm really happy that you are uh, on with me today and I'm excited for you to uh, share your story with everybody. Oh, I'm glad to do it. Yeah, so to start off, I always ask my guests to introduce themselves. And can you tell us a little bit about who Mariah is? Okay, well, my name is Mariah Hillis. I live in, uh, I'm 27 years old, and I live in Saskatoon, Saskatchewan, Canada. If you don't know where that is, find North Dakota on a map and go straight up um, for quite a bit. You'll eventually find it. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, yes, I live with my, I have a, I live with my parents and my two younger brothers and my dog. Um, I was born with a spinal cord injury, a high cervical spinal cord injury, injury that caused a couple of different things. It caused a physical disability and it caused something called central hyperventilation syndrome. So I don't breathe spontaneously. I don't breathe while I'm asleep or tired or uh, well, we once found that we've realized that I don't breathe spontaneously if I'm on some uh, painkillers, some high painkillers um, or if I'm sick. Mm-hmm. And so I have a tracheostomy tube. It's a little plastic thing that kind of goes into my neck and into my airway. And so, and then I have a ventilator at night. So it's a big machine that'll breathe for me. And I hook it up to this tube on my neck. And that's, that keeps me breathing when I, my brain just doesn't tell me to do it anymore, mm-hmm. which is super inconvenient. <laughs> um, and yeah. I, yeah, I, uh, I can walk, which is a bit of a misconception. I can walk not very well. Um, so I do like, I have a hard time walking like a cane and I have a wheelchair for if I have to go on a long, long distance, um, or if I'm going with like a large group of people who don't realize to slow down to my speed. I, like I always get, I like, I have note, um, I don't go very fast. I don't walk very, very, I don't go very quickly. So yeah, we, so I'll take the wheelchair. Uh, yeah, I was, that's kind of the majority of my diagnoses, I guess. Um, mm-hmm. But I am a, one thing I joke about is I say I'm a bit of a chronic student. Um, I constantly am going to school for something. <laughs> constantly, it took me six years to get my bachelor's degree. 
Um, that was kind of disability related, but you know, maybe I just couldn't stop. I liked doing it so much. I was such a big nerd because I got a degree in history and I came out of class once. I'm like, guess what super strange historical fact I learned today? And I, people would be like, oh no, what's going to happen now? Oh no, what do we need? What are we going to know that we did not need to know? <laughs> and so, yeah. Um, wow. And then I got my bachelor's degree and then I took a year off and then there was a pandemic. Um, and then I ended up going back to school. I'm now being, I'm now in, here they call it the College of Education, but I'm just training to be a teacher. I'm in teacher school. Oh, that's great. <laughs> and, that's really great. Yeah. So that's kind of what, it, that's kind of who I am. I go to school and I have a ventilator and I have a dog and I do weird, all sorts of weird nerdy things. So that's kind of <laughs> who I am. Great. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so um, you mentioned that you were, uh, born with a spinal cord injury, a cervical spinal cord injury. Can you um, mm -hmm. share a little bit about that? Do you know um, how many people this affects around um, in your country or around the globe or uh, any information about the cervical spinal cord injury that you can share with anybody? I honestly don't know how many people this particular injury affects. Um, I have met two other people i know of a couple of more through them and one of my doctors actually knew somebody else who was the, who had a cervical spinal cord injury but i don't think it was a birth injury um with that one person mine was very specifically a birth injury so when i was born i i'm not quite sure if i have to story exactly straight but this is my general understanding um a couple of things happened. One, when most normally when babies are being born, they're facing down, like their their faces like down to the ground. Um, but I was facing up and I was stuck. And so they used forceps to try to get me out, and they like gave me a pull and a twist and injured the top of my spine. And where mine. It's kind of injured. It's pretty much where my spine meets my brain, where the, where the top of my spine meets the brainstem. So kind of right in there. That's why it kind of caused really funky injury because mm -hmm. like it injured, injured my automatic nervous system and it injured my spine. So that's what caused the physical injury. But it was this automatic nervous system that people couldn't quite figure out what happened. Um, but that once they figured out exactly how the spinal cord was injured, you're like, okay, that actually does make a little bit of sense. Um, but the fact that I can walk, so the reason, because I'm not, like, no, I'm not, I, I can't walk, not very well, but I can. A lot of people who have this injury are, do use wheelchairs. Um, mo the majority of the time, or all the time, I'm not quite sure. Um, not just kind of inconsistently like me. So it did, it did, it affected me in a strange way. Um, mm -hmm. So yeah, I really wouldn't have a number of four years. So at this point I could maybe count four, maybe five. I'm not sure. So yeah, yeah I, yeah. But it's, um, <clears throat> again, we had talked a little bit about this before uh, we started recording that, you know, no matter how many people have that diagnosis, it affects everybody differently. And I think you just really, you mentioned that in um, in the use of, of wheelchairs, you know, for you, you can walk, uh, like you said, not maybe not very well or for very long, but uh, you, you're able to walk. And there are some people who may have that same 
uh, injury who have to use a wheelchair full time. So I, I think mm -hmm. it's very important, um, you know, for people like yourself and, and everybody who has uh, any type of disability diagnosis to share their story and to, um, you know, get the information out there about their specific condition and uh, how it impacts them. So I appreciate you sharing that uh, with me. <clears throat> Anytime. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and you also mentioned that uh, as a result of the cervical spinal cord injury, you have uh, something that's called central hypoventilation syndrome, and uh, you have to use uh, the ventilator. So is, is that something that uh, occurred at the same time, or did it develop for you later on uh, as you got older in childhood or early adulthood? No, it, it occurred... Um, right away it was that was the thing that was actually noticed first when I was born was that I wasn't breathing um that was one of one thing that's a little bit odd was um so I was crash intubated like I was so I had the tube down my throat for like the first five weeks I think of my life about that um around there and then they put in the tracheostomy and so I've always had a ventilator. I have my own little setup at home. I have to have a funky looking bedside table so the ventilator can go in underneath and I have like all my stuff on top like my phone and my books and so I have this like funny little like three-story uh two or three kind of level bedside table. Um I have to have all of these medical supplies on the second second part of the, the middle level like in the drawer on that middle shelf. Um, I've been through a couple bedside tables that they do, they take a bit of a beating. Um, so no, but it's, I've always been ventilated. I've always had the central hyperventilation. Um, the interesting thing about me though, is that when I was younger, like when I was a baby, um, I was ventilated 24 seven. Um, but as I got older and I recovered from the injury, um, the various different muscles, kicked in, I guess, and started to heal. So I was able to breathe spontaneously while I was awake. So I didn't need to be attached to the machine all day, every day. It was just while I was, while I was either asleep or ill or tired, um, which did change things. Because if you do have to drag a ventilator everywhere, like everywhere you go, I mean, everywhere you go, like to the kitchen, to the bathroom, outside, to the grocery store, it is, complicated and difficult like mm -hmm. um like if you like like a parent will have to take their little kid take the little kid and have the diaper bag and the stroller and the whole thing then attach a ventilator to that right. and it's a big machine it's gotten better now but i was born in the early in the mid 90s and so at that point they weren't this compact they were these big kind of clunkers um <laughs> which yeah, and so you have to have this 50 pound machine and all the tubing and sometimes oxygen tanks as well. And it's just complicated and difficult. And so it's, um, once I was able to kind of breathe more, more spontaneously while I was awake, you didn't have to take the machine absolutely everywhere I went. Right. Yeah, I'd still have to take it a lot of places, but not absolutely everywhere. So Yeah, and that's, yeah. Um, I, I'm glad you shared that. Um, you know, that, that your time having to use the overtime that um, using the ventilator, your, your time being on it has decreased to when you're 
tired or you know not feeling well or sleeping uh, versus how it was when you were younger and you had to be um, connected to it uh, 24 seven. And as you said, it can get very, uh, you know, I guess very uh, cumbersome to try to, uh, you know, carry all of that everywhere. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm glad that you shared that with us to, um, you know, I, I guess that, and as you mentioned that your injury had gotten better and, um, you know, your muscles were able to kick in and, and uh, strengthen a lot over time and, and you know, you were able to uh, lessen your time on the use of the ventilator. Yeah, that was, um, like, I, I'm not quite sure the exact time frame. I do know that one lung kicked in, I think, when I was three months old, and then the other one when I was six, I think. Mm -hmm. I think that was, I think that's the time frame. So when I was discharged from the hospital, like, totally I was I actually spent the first almost year of my life in inpatient as an inpatient at the hospital um I went home I think I did like a weekend trip over Thanksgiving the, like the year I'd gone home the Canadian Thanksgiving so that's early October the reason why I bring that up is because that is important for the time frame um and so uh so I went home early October for a couple of days and then they brought me back um just as like a trial run. And then when I was fully discharged, like five weeks later, it was a week before my first birthday. There is a picture, it's a pol polio, Polaroid photo. And uh, the day I was discharged and they wrote the date on it. And the date is November 9th, 1995. I was born November 16th, 1994. That is a week to the day. Wow. So, yeah, and um, it's kind of the photo's kind of funny because my mom is carrying me, and my dad is carrying all the stuff because mm -hmm. <laughs> um, there's like a suction machine and an oxygen tank. I'm still hooked up to oxygen at this point, and so he was carrying the oxygen tank and the suction machine and just all the baby stuff. <laughs> um, and, so it was, so the picture is kind of, kind of funny if you like take a look at it, it's like, oh, okay, I see what's <laughs> happened. So, yeah. Well, I'm, I, I'm excited I, that you're a fellow November birthday. I, I was born November 25th, so that's, oh. <laughs> uh, yes, very exciting, a few, quite a few years before you, but. <laughs> just, just a few. Just a few, yeah, not many, just a few. <laughs> but yes, I'm, I'm excited to hear that you're a November birthday. That, that's cool. <laughs> um, so uh, the one thing, or I, I should say one of the few things when you first uh, sent me an email uh, that I was very interested and very happy to see is that you were uh, in school to become a teacher. And I really think that is so important um, that students will be able to see someone like yourself with a disability in their school teaching. Um, I, I know for myself, I didn't have any teachers that had physical disabilities growing up. And I know a lot of uh, other people can say the same. Uh, one of my guests early on in the podcast was Judy Human. She's a civil rights disability you, rights you interviewed you interviewed judy i I'm did i'm so jealous i did i'm and so jealous yeah 
<laughs> and she, uh, I believe she's the first uh, wheelchair user uh, to become a teacher in New York City. Um, oh, cool. Yeah, so, you know, I, outside of her, I don't remember hearing of any, you know, popular stories. I'm, I'm, I'm not saying they're not there in the schools, but um, I, I was excited to hear that you were uh, studying in school to become a teacher. And I would like for you to um, just share with uh, the listeners, uh, have there been any experiences uh, in your school experience of uh, studying to become a teacher uh, where you found it difficult to uh, navigate? Did you come up against any discrimination in, uh, in your school, uh, in your education world, uh, in your process of becoming a teacher? Well, I've only kind of, I've only been in the College of Education for, this is only my second semester, mm -hmm. actually. Um, and so I haven't had a whole lot of problems yet because I've been pretty contained just within classes. Um, and my professors have been pretty great. I'd liked all of them. Um, if I had a problem, it was because of other issues, not about my disability, um, which at this point is good. And my one of my professors, I like a lot. He um, just kind of has done the whole kind of range of kind of working in the, in the school systems. He was busy taught like K to every grade from like K to eight. And he did like work in the school board and did special education for a while. And I think she actually did something in the board for special education. I'm not quite sure what, um, but if like I'm a big, part of my reason for going into teaching was kind of well like what you said like I didn't see anybody I didn't see anybody like me anywhere ever mm -hmm. I didn't even see anybody in a wheel I didn't see a grown-up in a wheelchair like checking out my groceries as far as I was aware um and once I kind of made that connection at some point um I was like well like why why is that and maybe why can't I do that and so that's kind of become my whole kind of mantra is the I'm going into education and teaching that way I can just, the very least, I can make sure that the kids coming up behind me can see somebody like them just doing a regular job as far as they are aware. Um, I was working at a summer camp for people with disabilities. And this was maybe week, no, this was week one. And I actually wasn't there the first couple of days because I had a doctor's appointment and a couple of other things I had to deal with. And so I actually got there week, day two or three. And I was, at the time I was doing some programming. And so I was out at this, at the program station. Um, and my, my station was empty, but the station kind of just outside where I was, which like where the horse horses were and they had too many people and not enough hands. And so I know a little bit about horses. So I was out there just oh, making great. sure everything stayed still <laughs> um, for a minute. Um, just, I, I was able to hold a couple of horses. So they were able to, they were able to do stack them up. And I was out there and a group of campers were standing around and this one camper took a look at me and she goes, oh my God. And I was like, what? She goes, you're just like me. She was in, she was actually older than me. And it didn't occur to her until that moment that there could be other people kind of like her doing jobs, just existing in the world. 
And I was like, at first I was stunned and then I was annoyed. And then I was like, huh, that might be something to just to do. Like, and I also had this experience. I felt like I'd worked in school. I'd done a couple of things and when people would, when different staff would be kind of, would kind of hit a wall and they'd be, I weren't quite sure how to help the students. And I'd be, I would often be the one standing there like, I know, I have the answer. <laughs> um, even at like 19, it's like, I have the answer. I know. I was like, how do you do it? It's like, like this. And I just kind of did it. That <laughs> is, oh, that is did such it. a great, um, that is such a great feeling when someone can say like, hey, you're just like me. And I've, I've had that experience a few times with uh, the job that I have. Um, part of our organization runs a, uh, it's called a Miracle League, a, dis a league for a baseball league for children and adults with disabilities. And, and one of the times we were out on the field and I, I walk with braces and crutches and I also use a wheelchair. So I usually, not usually, I always have my wheelchair uh, with me when we go out on the field because I'm usually a lot of different places at once. And so it's easier for me to get around. And I was in yeah. my wheelchair out in the middle of the field one day and one of the young players came over to me and he says, hey, uh, can I talk to you for a minute? I said, sure. And he says, my mom tells me you run this thing. And I said, well, no, I, I said, I, you know, I work with a team of people and, and you know, we put the, the league together and we run it every, every season. And he says, my mom says you run this thing. And he said, and I think that's pretty cool because I think I, I could do it one day too. And I said, oh, oh my goodness. Great. I was like, wow. I said, you're right. You can do it. You know, you, you can do it one day. You will do it one day. If that's what you want to do, you will do it. So it's like, yeah, it's, exactly. those, it's those types of situations. And, and you just said it um, about your desire uh, to become a teacher because you didn't see anyone who looked like you uh, with a disability when you were <laughs> coming up in school. So it's just like for those students that you will teach, you know, they can say, they can look back on their life when they get older and say, oh, I had that one teacher who had a disability and she was, uh, you know, I don't know if you're going to uh, teach history or not, but it's, uh, <laughs> you know, just, yeah. uh, it, it's just, it's, it's those types of situations where you can, you can say like you found what you feel like you were meant to do in life and, um, and what you're going to do in life will have a purpose and a meaning for other people. Uh, who you will interact with and, and for those students who you will teach uh, in the future. So I think that's just uh, really, I think it's just great. <laughs> yeah, I think one of my, my English teacher who was mentioning earlier, um, I think she's, I've, I've talked to her a couple of times and I think she's noticed that kind of an interest, uh, uh, part of my advocacy is through teaching, is like through these Oh, I want to do a I want to do a unit plan on books to feature disabilities, or I want to um, just various different things. Um, and one thing that and she's totally encouraged it. I was asking her a couple of questions. She goes, "Go for it! Like, if you need a book recommendation? Ask me! Like, just full speed ahead! Like, just you know, try not to hit a wall, but you know, go! <laughs> like, this would be great." And I'm like, okay. And she's totally encouraged it. The funny thing is, is that. Um, in my, I'm not sure if it's in my division or from my college or they're both, they're very connected. So some common, some force in there. Um, 
has decided to uh, refer to students with disabilities as students with exception exceptionalities. That drives me bonkers. Um, and so then I'm like, last I checked, I can't fly. Um, and it's like, That's a good and so, one. Yeah, this is, this is kind of my argument, exactly. And so I, I went up to her one day and I asked, I was like, okay, can you please tell me where did this come from? And somebody in the division thought this was a good idea. I'm not quite sure where or what. Anyway, um, but um, there was an author in Canada. So not local to Saskatchewan where I am, but um, her name was Jean Little. She was blind or just, uh, she was blind as far as I was aware. And she used to make the same argument. She died about a year ago. And she was still kind of making this, and she'd be up and talking and she goes, you know, my disability is not a bad thing, right? Mm -hmm. And I was talking to my professor and she goes, I said, like, where did, where did this exceptionality phrase come from? Like, why? Like, disability is not a bad word. Like I have one, it's right there. You can't miss it. Like, you know, um, mm -hmm. it's a big part of my identity. I really can't help that either. And I was just going to say that Tiff Tiffany is uh, really big on the disability is not a bad word with diversity. Yeah. That's uh, so cool. Uh, so true. <laughs> yeah, I know. I keep trying to get a, ha a hold of one of those t-shirts and I just can't because I, I missed, uh, I kind of keep missing the purchasing window and also I'm like, yeah, so I'm waiting for like the next time they sell them, I'm going to buy one. Um, but yeah, and she goes, and yeah, and so I, I think she's kind of, she's kind of adjusted her phrasing a little bit because, mm -hmm. um, I was talking to my professor one day about doing a unit plan and of, about students with disabilities, and when she first kind of, we were on a Zoom call and I like threw it into the group chat, and <laughs> she, uh, and she goes, oh, that's a great idea. Do we want to? Students want for students with exceptionalities and there's no disabilities. And so it's like, eh, I changed your thinking. I love it. That's she's great. like six, in her 60s. And I was able to adjust her thinking just because I didn't like, you know, lecture her for 20 minutes. I just I was asking her a couple of questions. And so, well, and so I, think, I, I, I think was pleased with myself. Yeah. And I think the big thing is for people like ourselves, people who have disabilities, to make sure we let people know disability is not a bad word. It's, it's not. It's fine to say that, you know, that my friend or my coworker or whoever it is, my relative has a disability and here's what the disability is. I think that's, yeah. I think that's where the negativity part comes in, where it's just, they, they don't explain what the disability is and how it impacts them. That's why one of my missions, uh, one of my goals here is to change that tone of conversation because I, you know, when you just say the word disability, because of the prefix dis, yes, it, it's negative, it sounds negative. But if you go on to explain what it is and how it impacts that person, you can still see that, you know, with your diagnosis, you're still going to school to become a teacher. Like you can still do a whole lot of things, some things you can't do, but like you said, you also can't fly. But <laughs> well, I know. mean, that's, that's like I'm not exceptional. I can't fly. Right. I'm disabled. Not a bad right. Thing. So there, <laughs> there are some things that we can't do as people with disabilities. But there are some things that everybody can't do, and we have yeah. to, you know, we have to acknowledge that. Yes, we can acknowledge that, and also let you know of the good and positive things that we can do.
exactly. Like, I mean, one thing I really try to like talk about through my different advocacy and like who I talk to and different things is like, and one thing that's happened is people sometimes ask me about, you know, their kid who was recently, you know, diagnosed or, you know, having some, maybe born with some sort of issue. Um, like I knew a girl in elementary school whose younger brother was born very premature. I'm not quite sure how much, but just a lot. Um, and her mom was like trying to figure out, you know, what kind of, what, what, what person I know who, ha- like what person do I know has it have, would have it, would talk to me about their disability. She mm-hmm. goes, well, I was, I was like 12 at the time. <laughs> um, and she like, she like corners me at the elementary school. She was, I like her. I liked her a lot. She was a very nice lady. She was just enthusiastic. Mm-hmm. Um, and she, <laughs> and she corners me and she goes, can I ask you a couple of questions? I'm like, sure. And so um, like, I've known, I'd known her for years. She like coached my soccer team. Like, yeah, and I was like, sure, you can talk to me. What's up? And she, um, and she goes, like, what's it like living with a disability or whatever she used at the time? I don't remember exactly how she phrased it. Um, and it's like, Mwah. I didn't have an answer for her. I was 12 years old. I'm like, I don't know. It's my life. I can't stand properly. Like, <laughs> right. It's all I knew. You know, it's all I knew growing yeah, it's like, up. Yeah, it's so. all I know. Like, I don't know. I can't stand. I can't. I don't breathe, have anything but, to compare know. it to. Yeah. I don't have I don't, anything exactly. to compare it to. I don't have anything to compare it to. Right. Yeah, I don't have anything to compare it to. This is just how I exist, but you know. Right. I'll see you at doctor practice and something like that. <laughs> and she goes, and Lifty kind of just went, okay, I think that actually was a bizarre, that was actually a strangely helpful answer because mm-hmm. she's like, okay, she's disabled, but she doesn't let it affect her life. And she's with right. my soccer team and she's friends with my daughter and she's doing all these things. It's like, okay, <laughs> that was oddly helpful because it's right. like, okay, we can, that's one piece, but you can do all these other things. And so, um, yeah. which like, it's nothing, there's nothing wrong with it. Like, it's okay, like it's right there, but like there's more to us than just that we're having a disability. If that, those two arguments actually make sense. Mm-hmm. Kind of smushed in there. Yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah. that's one thing I like to talk about. And so, yeah, which, which is kind of interesting. So yeah, that's kind of where I was, where I always kind of go. Yeah, Mariah, this has been a great conversation. I really appreciate you taking the time to uh, speak with me today and to share your story and your experience of living uh, with a disability and um, the great reminder that disability is not a bad word. I uh, I love when Tiffany started that, and um, I think it's it's so true. And uh, for you and for uh, people like us, I'll put myself in this, where we don't mind sharing our stories um, because it can be can be rough to share your story um, and the trauma and the experiences you've had as far as it relates to your disability. So uh, you know, I, I'm thankful that you were uh, willing to reach out and uh, share your story on the podcast today. So thank you so much for that. And um, oh, look, thanks for having me. Oh, yes, you're <laughs> welcome. And I look forward to um, working with you and, and speaking with you again sometime soon. <laughs> yeah, that would be so much fun. I look forward to it.
Great. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Our View Podcast. Did you find something in the episode that you really liked? Be sure to leave us a comment on our Facebook page or our YouTube channel. Make sure you're following us to see the world from Our View on Instagram at Our View for Life. That's O-U-R-V-I-E-W, the number four L-I-F-E. We thank you for listening. Thank you.